0: You are listening to the APSI podcast, the Association of People Supporting Employment First with your host, Chris Davies. Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another Minnesota APSI podcast. We're, we're so excited to be back here in our actual studio once again, meeting in person uh, with Jillian Nelson. And uh, hello, Jillian.
1: Hi, how are you today?
0: Doing good, doing good. It's, uh, things are turning up. Uh, today is October 21st, it's Friday, and the weather has been unbelievably cold earlier this week, but this weekend is turning up, so so that's got to be a good thing. And Jillian and uh, I were just catching up a few minutes ago and I think you're going to love hearing all the things uh, that she has to say and learning about her. Jillian is with the Autism Society Minnesota, commonly referred to as Awesome, is that right?
1: Yep, we are Awesome.
0: Absolutely.
1: It never gets old.
0: No, it never gets old. There's so many so many wonderful play on words. Uh, it's amazing, it's incredible, it's awesome. So, we're excited to to learn all the the cool things that Jillian is a part of right now. She is the uh, community resource and policy advocate for Awesome, among many other things. As I learned uh, a few minutes ago in our pre pre discussion here, before before we move forward, as as uh, you regular uh, podcast viewers know, I always like to uh, talk about Minnesota Apsy a little bit and, and read our purpose statement. Perhaps this is the first time you've watched a, a Minnesota APSE podcast, and perhaps you've never heard of APSE or Minnesota APSE. Apsy stands for the Association for People Supporting Employment First. Okay, so uh, Minnesota APSE is an action-oriented organization. We exist to bring people together to raise expectations so that people with disabilities can be employed and contribute and assume their roles and responsibilities as citizens in their communities. Employment is the same wages, standards, responsibilities, expectations and opportunities available to any working age adult. One person at a time, employment is the avenue out of poverty and isolation. And Jillian and I were, were just discussing employment and I know that it's something that's very passionate, uh, that you're very passionate about
1: disabilities and employment is my heart's work something my my job has led me a little bit astray from but i think that when we talk about employment and disabilities if we if those things aren't hand in hand we're not serving the disability community to their fullest capacity
0: yeah i totally agree i totally agree and before we uh move forward and and learn more about jillian i just want to visually describe myself i am a uh, white male. Uh, I'm bald. I do have a red beard. And uh, today I'm wearing tan uh, pants and a uh, kind of a light tan checkered uh, sport coat.
1: Um, I am a Caucasian woman with shoulder length teal curly hair. I'm wearing a black sweater and blue
0: jeans. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, so let's uh, let's get into it, shall we? Absolutely. That's what you're here for, right? Yes. Okay. So, uh, just, let's just start by, uh, Jillian, if you could just tell us a little bit more about yourself, maybe your, your professional background, things like that.
1: So I'm Jillian Nelson. I'm the community resource and policy advocate for the Autism Society of Minnesota. That is so many words. Um, in a nutshell, I run our information and resource hotline. I coordinate our bookstore and I also, um, head up all of our public policy agendas um, and also help out with support groups. Um, We're a small entity, so we all wear a whole lot of hats. Um, I'm also a uh, member of the Governor's Council on Developmental Disabilities. I'm vice chair for the State Rehabilitation Council. I am co-chair for Minnesota Consortium for Citizens with Disabilities, Anti-Discrimination and Intersectionality Committee. And I am the vice chair for the Minnesota Task Force on Eliminating Subminimum Wage. I probably do a few other things <laughs> that have currently slipped my head, um, but the most important title I hold in any of these spaces and in this conversation, is I'm also an autistic adult and to be completely honest um, my job at Awesome was somewhat of an accidental customized employment situation and I was hired about six years ago as our receptionist and it turns out I'm a really, really bad receptionist. I should not be in charge of anyone's calendars other than my own. Um, but I worked with a really, really great group of people and we have such an amazing leader in Ellie Wilson who really started to recognize where my strengths were. That I may not be great at managing calendars for therapists and I'm really, really bad at doing mass mailings. <laughs> um, but I, I'm really great at talking to people about autism and helping them find the right supports and the right resources and helping them understand the world from that autism framework and I'm really really good at trying to change the world so they created my position and my position I'm actually the first person who has ever been the community resource and policy advocate I am the first paid policy professional within the Autism Society of Minnesota and I am actually the only paid policy professional in the entire Autism Society affiliate network And none of this would have been possible without conversations like the ones APSI and Employment First have been pushing through Minnesota for so long, really creating a really vibrant framework about what disability and employment can look like in Minnesota. So a lot of times people, they'll see me on Capitol Hill or having conversations like this, and I'll be like, well, that person is so different from my child. They're so different from the people I work with. Employment for her is entirely different. Not at all true. Before I came to awesome, I struggled so badly in the employment world. And I'm the perfect example of when we give people with disabilities the right supports and the right environment and the right understanding that we can blossom into incredible things.
0: Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing all that. Uh, your, the story you just described, your story is, is such a, clear example of, of sort of the principles that, that exist in customized employment, you know, truly helping somebody, uh, tap into their strengths, their skills, and then create an opportunity or, or be involved in an opportunity where you're going to be valued, you know, for what you do. And clearly, uh, the work you're doing, will use it again is awesome, you know, at, at awesome. And, and that's really great for you and, and uh, that you and Ellie were were willing to kind of take that journey, and that she saw the all the things that you were could do and were good at. So that's that's amazing. Thanks for sharing that.
1: It's been it's been an incredible journey, and i I work really hard to keep pushing forward this agenda in the broader society because I know that my story isn't the normal story. I know that. For every one jellion in, in a great customized employment situation thriving, there's ten more people that are still struggling in employment and still trying to figure it out and still not really thriving in the workplace and I I want to change that and I want to see the world change that because we all deserve a place to contribute to society in a way that is meaningful to us and to have a workplace that we feel welcomed and appreciated and we still got a long way to go but I think one step at a time we'll get there.
0: Yeah, I agree and as you were saying that it made me, you know, think about that sometimes if somebody doesn't thrive in a particular job, instead of continuing on the journey and trying to, you know, peel back the layers of the onion, so to speak, to getting to that right opportunity, people quit because, because people tell them, well, see, you can't work. It didn't work.
1: Yeah. Um, I think about that all the time, um, especially – I'm going to skip all over all of our topics here. That's okay. Um, like ta- looking at things like um, the task force on eliminating subminimum wage, um, we went out as part of the task force. As a committee, or as a council, we, we had to hear from the community and like, what are your concerns? What are your fears? What are your hopes? And what we were hearing over and over and over is, well, my child isn't like you. My child can't work. And like, well, they tried this job and it didn't work or they tried this and it didn't work. And, but no one actually stepped back and like, it's just looking at this from this idea of it's only possible with jobs as they exist. Like if you went down to the local restaurant and applied for that help wanted sign versus creating something for an individual that really works and thinking outside the box and realizing how many things there are that need to be done in any place of employment and we all have strengths we also how many of us have something about our jobs that we really don't like doing that someone else would excel at and if we can kind of use the things that we love and the things that we're good at and the things that we're to to work together to create the most efficient place of employment, everyone, every single person will thrive, not just the person with the disability.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I love that, and I, I couldn't agree more. I was just telling somebody the other day that I'm fortunate enough to be in a job that I think does tap into my strengths and my skills, but there are literally a bajillion jobs that I wouldn't be good at. That wouldn't necessarily yeah, be the right too. job for me. And none of us has to be great at I everything. Would,
1: I would be a horrible football referee.
0: <laughs> me too. <laughs> I can, I tried reffing a basketball game once. It was a disaster.
1: I mean, also, like, I don't think I'd be a, like I like Ellie, for example, I would not be a good executive director but i need a good executive director to be successful at my job like i'm not great at admin but i have a fantastic we have a fantastic office manager that fulfilled my old role and her role kind of shifted And her being great at her role means that I can be great at my role. It takes all kinds and everyone bringing those skills together to look at the bigger picture. And we are all capable of something.
0: It's a cliche, but teamwork literally does make a dream work. And it sounds like you have a great team over there. On that note, let's talk a little bit more about what you're doing uh, at Awesome, some of the the initiatives you're working on, things like that.
1: So legislatively, um, for the last couple of years, um, we have been working on a package of bills that relates to accessibility. Um, the conversation in Minnesota for a very, very long time about accessibility has been, um, really kind of dictated around that physical footprint of accessibility. So looking at ramps, bathrooms, handrails, parking spots. And those are very, very important parts of accessibility. But as we create more awareness around different types of disabilities, we also need sensory-friendly accessibility, and we need intellectual accessibility, and we need visual accessibility. So we've been working on a collection of bills that would really focus on changing the conversation in Minnesota around what accessibility looks like. So things like an event licensing bill that would require any event over a thousand people to have a sensory friendly space as part of their accommodations or a special education bill that sets up a policy and procedure for parents with disabilities to request accommodations in the IEP process or um a task force to look at the accessibility of state and county disability services. I don't know if you've ever tried to get a waiver, um, but state and county disability services are some of the least accessible services in our state. And my personal belief is that disability services should be the most accessible because 100% of people interfacing with them have a disability. Um, So we wanna like assess that and look at where we could improve accessibility. Um, Last year, it bore another bill out of that that would create a change to how counties and social workers and Medicaid interact with people and require a 10 day notice before denials of services because how many times do people being denied a service or a support or a program because of missing paperwork or something wasn't explained clear enough or something got written down wrong by a professional and then the only option people have after the denials to go in front of a judge and appeal it in a hearing well if we can take that 10 day time to have a conversation between case management or county overseers and individuals and families maybe we can reduce the number of appeals and create a more accessible system for people with disabilities?
0: Yeah, I, I have really been astonished at, uh, how unaccessible, you know, some of those, those services can be. I've been, I've been walking alongside somebody that is um, a parent and, and a daughter that are trying to get established in, into services. And, uh, it's, Quite frankly, I knew that it was not necessarily easy, but it's really opened my eyes to what people are going through. And you're absolutely right. That should be, you know, if you already know the person that is going to be wanting to access these services are going to potentially have challenges and barriers and and possibly need, you know, accessible options. That should be one of the easier, you know, things. Instead, it's, it's like calling the cable company.
1: Yeah, I, I do this as a lit, for a living. I am a lobbyist. I can spend time on Capitol Hill. I can write and pass laws with a greater ease than getting my own waiver squared away. I required outside advocacy and a support planner and all of these tools because the system is so challenging. I can tell people how it's supposed to work. I can tell them what's supposed to happen. But when you're actually in that room, when you're actually doing the things, when you're actually coordinating with counties, it's not always how it goes.
0: Yeah, I I can appreciate that. Well, you're doing some really some really great work over there. You know, let's talk about sort of what led you here today, uh, or at least the connections uh, that that we the common connections that we have on the um, the task force, the subminimum wage task force that you are a co chair of and. Uh, you also, um, one of the people that, that serves on, uh, on that committee is Larissa Beck, who, uh, works to reach for resources, but also is a, a Minnesota APSE board member. So Larissa's a colleague of ours.
1: Fantastic. Oh
0: yes. Oh yes. I am well aware at her awesomeness. That is for sure. She's amazing. And she said the same about you, by the way. And she said that you were somebody that we had to sit down and talk with. And I see why now, but Tell us, you know, what's going on with the task force.
1: So this task force was dreamt up in, God, 2019. Um, I sat down with advocate Noah McQuart, and he wanted to bring forward a bill to end subminimum wage in Minnesota. And the more we talked about it, the more we realized that to end subminimum wage in Minnesota, we also needed to have a plan. We couldn't just flip it off like a light switch because there were, at that time, over 7,000 people that were receiving services in a sub-minimum wage model and those people needed a plan we needed to know what we were going to do with people so that they could continue to engage in their community in a way that was meaningful to them so we added the proponent of having a task force to his bill Um, i remember sitting down with um, the capoja ceo john alexander that very first time and we, me and Noah told him what Noah was going to work on and um, what awesome was going to support. And John told us, like, this is going to be a long path. There's going to there's be some resistance. Um, f- fast forward to um, 2021 when um, we had an incredibly vibrant health and human service omnib- omnibus an incredibly vibrant health and human service omnibus bill that did uh, set up amazing programs for the disability community, and the task force was there. We didn't we didn't get the sunset date for subminimum wage, but we did get Senate approval and House approval to create a task force on eliminating subminimum wage, so we could bring together a room full of leaders um, in the disability community and people with disabilities, people that have been employed in subminimum wage, and figure out what would be necessary to put in place to support all Minnesotans with disabilities that are receiving services under sub-minimum wage at a time when sub-minimum wage was no longer a viable option. And we recognize that there's a lot of avenues that this could come from. We could release this report in january and it could be that minnesota decides this report makes sense we're going to pass a law eliminating sub-minimum wage we could also come to eliminating sub-minimum wage through a federal passage of law, Um, the Biden administration has been very, very vocal about their commitment to ending sub-minimum wage on a federal level, um, which is one of the reasons that this plan is so important, because it may not be a decision that Minnesota gets to make. It may be a decision that's made for us, and we need to make sure that the people that we care for and support have appropriate services to go into the next stage as with. Um, it could also come through through um litigation. If someone were to decide to bring forward a court case acknowledging that being paid sub minimum wage is a violation of human rights, it could be ruled on in a court of law in Minnesota and also come down. That's that's happened in a couple other states throughout the country. So Looking at all the routes and all the roads that could take us to eliminating sub-minimum wage in Minnesota, it became really clear that this task force needed to be responsible for creating a plan, not necessarily deciding whether or not we should eliminate sub-minimum wage, just what would happen and what would need to be done to support people if and when it happens. Um, and We're still sussing that out. We're still putting together all of our recommendations, but it's been such an amazing journey to get to really delve in and hear from other states and hear from experts and hear from our community about some of those concerns so we can really put together a vibrant plan to make sure that everyone in Minnesota is cared for and continues to have meaningful engagement in their communities in a way that best suits them.
0: And to me, that last thing you just said, meaningful engagement, in their communities is is so important you know part of this this process and plan are you at liberty to talk at all about some of the the ideas and plans and recommendations you have or is is uh, that not a Um, stage you're at or, I can, are, I can, you can give you a what I'm broad to say. overview.
1: It's a, it's a very, very detailed plan.
0: I, I imagine. Um,
1: we're definitely looking at some supports and services um, for both providers and families um, and also some marketing to the broader community and also to the disability community about what this change would mean. Um, there's a lot of fear in the community that, and, and a lot of ideas that if we sh- close down um, centers, or if we if we end sub-minimum wage, if we end the use of the Section 14C certificate, that we're essentially going to close down programs that use that certificate. That is not the goal at all. <laughs> um, we want to help providers transition away from using a Section 14C certificate to paying employees minimum wage or better. Um, but we don't want to necessarily say, this is gone. This is like, you can't come here anymore. We just want to change things and one of the things we've discovered in these conversations is that a lot of people, a lot of the fears about what would happen if we pay people minimum wage are based on um, not having all the information. Um, like we heard a lot of people say, well, if my kid makes more than this month amount a month, they'll lose their benefits through the county. Um, none of these families had ever been told about programs like um, medical assistance for employed people with disabilities. I'm a full-time and competitively employed adult, and I have the same waiver as a lot of their children. I'm just have received my medical assistance through a different program than income based medical assistance. Um a lot of people are like, well, my 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 kid needs to have a job coach or we need to have someone check in on them regularly. And a lot of people didn't realize that there's extended employment services or that there's a way to get um extra funding through your waiver to provide those vocational supports in the community. That there are so there's so much misinformation about the vibrancy of services already available even before we publish this plan there's so many things available for supporting competitive and customized employment in our community so we want to make sure that people um both providers and families and individuals with disabilities have all the information they need um, we're also looking at making some recommendations about um, rate adjustments because we know that's a big thing like we we struggle as a community about maintaining um valuable staff in our community um for Caring for people with disabilities is one of the most underfunded services or one of the most underfunded professions in our country, um, whether it's PCAs or employment or job coaching or even in-home nursing care. And we really need to do something about rate reimbursement so that we can keep quality staff working in these positions to help really guide people in not just com- customize their competitive employment, but when that customized and competitive employment turns into careers and next steps in employment that continuity of providers and support staff is really going to matter so we're looking at some of that um we've made some recommendations on different ways minnesota could make legislative adjustments um to um end some minimum wage if that's what they choose to do and we're going to kind of look at this report as a here are things that absolutely have to be done. And here are some things that we really recommend doing to maintain the quality of life and also the standard of disability services that Minnesota has a reputation for, that we as a state have a very strong reputation for providing outstanding disability services. And we want to make sure we have recommendations of this is what has to be done And this is what we should be doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And that's a very good uh, point to make out, you know, what, uh, what, uh, what is being done and what should be done. And uh, I was going to ask you, you know, if a parent uh, came to you and said, well, I'm afraid what's going to happen if subminimum wage ends, you know, what would you tell them? And you really, you really laid that out, but you might have more specific for that.
1: I would tell them that when we started this journey. I was also afraid that I recognized and then all of us working on this recognize that there, there are people that have been in the same place and the same, doing the same thing for so long. And that if we didn't have a plan for what's next, that scary things could happen, but that this plan that having this direction to go in, this is because we have, we have the same goals as the parents that are afraid. Um, we want what's best. We want to make sure that every person with a disability in Minnesota is supported and that they are living a life that is meaningful and that they're thriving in that life. And whether or not this task force existed, there was imminent possibility that some minimum wage was going to end. And this plan, this plan is is having a plan to know what to do next. Um, I, I testified in front of the Senate a couple of years ago and I compared it to um, emergency preparedness that when you live in the path of a tornado, you know what to do when the tornado comes. And with the changing dialogue regarding disability and employment, Subminimum wage is living in the path of a tornado. It's it's not a matter of if it ends. It's a matter of when it ends and whether that's at a state level, a federal level or through litigation. And we have the choice to be prepared and have a plan to make sure everyone is supported or to be an ostrich and dig our head into the sand and wait for it to happen and to see negative outcomes for people that weren't prepared for that change to come.
0: Yeah. The train has left the station and it's, it's up to us to decide are we going to, are we going to build the track for the train to roll on? Or are we just going to stop building and let the train?
1: Those words, those exact words, the train has left the station was the message that was given to me and Andrea Zuber in Washington, DC at the beginning of this task force. And we were down there for the, um, policy, the disability policy seminar, and we spoke with some um employment officials in D.C. and like, what would you recommend from a federal level? What can we bring back to our task force? And the exact words we were given was the train has left the station. It's do we keep building tracks to make sure we don't derail or do we let it fly off a cliff?
0: And I really like what you're talking about acknowledging, you know, someone's fear and being vulnerable. I, I think, uh, cause I, I've been in this field, uh, one way or the other since 1997. And one thing I noticed right at the beginning is it almost feel, felt like there were two camps, you know, in, in the field, within our own field. And I think acknowledging fear, being vulnerable, listening, uh, is on both, for both sides, is, yeah. is the pathway. For us to truly come together and build something that that we can, you know, substantially build, and because you're right, at, at the base, we all want what's good for people, and change we all change is hard. You know, it is,
1: and I like to remind people um, in that fear space or the that we can't do this or my not my kid. No, they there are people that aren't capable. We heard those same sentiments when we began closing the institutions. We heard voice after voice saying, not my child. There are people there that would never survive in the community setting. And look at us now. We have been institution free for a very long time. We have every person with a disability is living in the community and people are thriving. Our communities are better for it. We are creating a more diverse and vibrant Minnesota by including people with disabilities. And now that we've closed the institutions, now we have to get people jobs. Now we need to integrate um, our people with disabilities in the same way into our communities and employment. And our communities are better after the institutions. Our communities will be better after we end subminimum wage
0: it i i always think uh at times like this of paul wellstone and that we all do better when we all do better
1: that is my favorite quote yeah i actually wrote an afterword for a book that's coming out in january it's called i will die on this hill and it's a tale between um two parents one a parent of autistic children and the other an autistic parent of autistic children and how they bridge that gap and learned how to work together to better the lives of um all children with autism. And I was invited to write the afterword, and the last words in my afterword are Paul Stone. When we all do better, we all do better.
0: Amen. And uh, you're, you're a co-chair with Andrea Zuber. I don't know if she told you this, but her father was an instrumental figure in, in uh, deinstitutionalizing Minnesota
1: i do actually or maybe you know just that. know that
0: because you um, are very smart that. and you seem like you do your research
1: <laughs> um i i grew up with a single mother um they promise the story makes sense um i never met my paternal family in very recently um 2018 i actually found my paternal family and they, they've chosen not to connect with me um but my paternal grandfather Um, Also worked for an organization and worked alongside Colleen Wick and Andrea's father, um, also closing down the institutions. And that's something that me and Andrea actually hold very close to our hearts as um, co-conspirators, as co-chairs in doing this work is knowing that um, the generation before us closed the institutions and now together we will Get people into the community and help them find jobs. Her dad, wow. she she always tells me the story of her dad um, told her, "Well, I found them houses. Now it's someone else's turn to find them jobs." And that's that's what we're hoping to do.
0: I love it. I I'm not gonna lie. I have goosebumps just just hearing you talk about that.
1: It was um, it was a very emotional moment with me and Andrea. We were we were sitting in DC, and um, we were already co chairs. We both work for organizations that work very closely together. Yet we had to go all the way to DC to meet face to face.
0: That's amazing. And I,
1: we were sitting together getting to know each other and kind of sharing that background. I remember that first time that we realized that my grandfather and her father had worked on this and that now we were going to work on this. Wow. And it, it felt a little bit like um, destiny. Like we're exactly where we're supposed to be doing exactly the work we're supposed to be doing.
0: Uh, I 100% agree with you. So – let's talk a little bit about the future you've you've talked a little bit about that and just sort of some of the plans that uh, that are being laid out and your philosophies uh, but what are your your hopes and dreams for the future here?
1: My hopes are that when I talk to young people now about things like institutions, they think that it sounds so far away and so impossible. Like how could that ever exist? Um, which is really unreal for me. Um, I actually used to live in Illinois and um, as a young adult, I was actually institutionalized for a short period of time. So I, I know how very real um, institutions are and how it's still happening in 36 states, but to young people in Minnesota, it's impossible. The idea of this is impossible. And I hope that in 10 years from now, I can sit in front of another room of young people and talk about our history of employment. And the idea of someone with a disability being paid subminimum wage sounds impossible. Like how the no way that could never happen. And that it just becomes a part of our history. And that we recognize, that we learn from it. I don't, I don't want us to erase it and forget that it happened, but that we learn from it and we move forward and that for future generations that kind of separation seems so impossible because we make the, new, the next steps so normal and so viable that any alternative seems a million years away. I mean, when you're 18, 19, 20, 10 years ago seems like a really long time.
0: <laughs> yes, as a almost 54 year old, time does take on a, a different. But yes, when I was in my 20s, five years seemed like an eternity. Now it feels like it's going to be tomorrow.
1: I will fully admit I am um, a lot older than I look. I just turned 40. And even just looking at where our disability community has come from, my first, from when I was first diagnosed 19 years ago um i was actually just telling the story earlier today i was diagnosed for seven years before i met another woman on the spectrum seven years and the first woman i met with autism the first time i was able to look at someone and see someone just like me it was temple grandin wow not exactly my new best friend (laughs) um it was it was even a couple years after that before i met someone like me that was my peer and not like this big public entity um and now my all of my best friends I, I am surrounded by peers who are just like me, uh, other autistic women that are living their lives, other queer autistic people living their lives. And that power of representation is so important. So like as a disability community, we just need to keep growing and learning and embracing our existence as not just a set of diagnoses, but we are our own community. We are our own culture. And we have a lot of things to be proud of and really leaning in and embracing that and celebrating and lifting each other up.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And you're right. You do look uh, younger than your age, as people have told me as well. So we have that in common. Um, You can agree or disagree. uh,
1: There's a running joke in the autism community that autistic people, we tend to age really, really well. I think it's the flat affect that happens most of the time. You don't get a lot of wrinkles if there's not a ton of facial expression.
0: There's, there very well could be something to that. I, I like that. Uh, so, anyway, you get what I'm saying about time, uh, yeah. for sure, for sure. Um, and, you know, as you were talking, I, one of my, my hopes has always been that uh, I wouldn't, or I should say, what I do for a living wouldn't need to exist because it would be so normal.
1: Yeah, I want to work myself That people out of a are job. hired
0: and that everyone, it, it, everyone just baseline believes people can work. Uh, that uh, the utopia is really that we don't need to be here because as communities we're all engaging, lifting one another other up, and um, and people are just working. And well, I
1: think I don't think you'll work yourself out of a job. I think jobs like yours will change because even yeah, if we get to the point. point where people with disabilities are just automatically hired and considered, there will still need, be the need for support there will still be the need for accommodations there will still be the need for subject matter experts that can come in and help employers figure out how to be the most accessible and most welcoming employer for people with disabilities and I, I hope that we keep doing that that it's not a matter of like I know when I was doing employment consulting it was knocking on doors begging them to listen sure. and I hope that we get to the point where people like you aren't knocking on doors, begging for someone to learn from them, but that you're being invited and to be like, we want to be good at this. We want to be an amazing employer for people with disabilities. I
0: think that is a really uh, good perspective. And let's face it, none of us do it alone, period, you know, in life. And uh, I've been, I work for Caposia Inc. As a lot of people watching the podcast know, but if you didn't know, I work for Caposia Inc. And I've been associated with Caposia since 1997 and uh has always been committed to trying to be as innovative and advanced in when it comes to employment uh, as possible. And I can tell you, what I do now has changed from what what we were doing in 1997. Not that principally we didn't believe in people, but uh, and and what they can do. But we've become more innovative, more creative. Uh, better listeners and so you know what we do now isn't what we did in 1997 so that makes a lot of sense to me.
1: I mean I even think about where as an autistic adult and an advocate what I believed six years ago and what I was advocating for and how I worked six years ago is entirely different than who I am now and I mean it's that's what evolution looks like and I think Right now, the disability community is in a huge phase of evolution that we are growing. We are changing. We are gaining accessibility and understanding and self-awareness at a fantastic rate of speed. Like we were kind of inching along for a long time. And now in this, even the last six years, like the way people with disabilities are celebrating themselves and I'm not even going to say asking for acceptance. I really feel like the disability community is now demanding acceptance loudly. Yes. And that's such a beautiful thing to it see is. and such a beautiful thing to be a part of. I remember um, when I first started doing work, I, I questioned for a long time, like, do I disclose my disability? Is this something that's going to hurt me or help me? And now it's a running joke at our office that if you meet me, you'll know within 10 minutes I'm autistic because I'm, it's just such a upfront part of my identity.
0: Well, uh, I, I really am impressed with what you're doing with your, your visions for the future. Uh, I appreciate you, uh, just being real here with us today and, and being vulnerable. And and you probably don't look at it that way. Uh, but, uh, it, it's, I've really been lost in this conversation and, uh, uh, I, I tend to think of myself as an optimist and a lot of hope, you know, for our future. But talking with you here today is, has, uh, has given me even more hope. Uh, I'm just walking away from this conversation.
1: I just have, inspired. I have a good friend that has given me some gruff over the years for how optimistic I am. Um, but I, I firmly believe my optimism comes not from expectation of what the world around me will do or what the people around me will do, but from sheer determination of will of what I'm willing to do to make the world a better place. And some faith that if I have this much will to make the world a better place, there's probably other people. And as I look around this journey, uh, meaning people like you and Andrea Zuber and Larissa and John Alexander, I have never been proven wrong that there are just as many people with just as strong of a sheer determination to make the world a better place. And as long as that keeps proving right, then optimism isn't unfounded. It's it's based on statistics that there's enough good people that we're going to do something great.
0: There is nothing I could say that would be better than what you just said. That was, that was beautiful. Um, I think we're gonna gonna wrap it up here. I, I feel like we could probably talk for another four hours, but we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here. Uh, do you have any final thoughts uh, that you'd um, like to relay?
1: I just want to remind everyone that's watching and living with disabilities: keeping proud of yourself. Anything is possible. Just maybe, even if things seem hard right now, maybe it just means it's time to do it a different way. But anything is possible.
0: Absolutely. Um, Would you, would you, this has been a a great conversation. Would you be uh, open to a fist bump?
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right,
0: great. Thank you so much. uh, uh, Jillian Nelson, everyone, uh, with Autism Works Minnesota, among many, many other things. And just want to remind you uh, that if you believe it, you can achieve it.
1: Have an awesome day.